0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash n-t-b-f for Nowhere to be Found. That's better, h-e-l-p dot com slash n-t-b-f. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, NowhereToBeFoundPodcast.com. I'm your host, Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere To Be Found. The last two episodes, we heard from Justin. He and I agreed that he would write out a timeline for the days leading up to and after Shane's disappearance. Justin absolutely came through with that timeline, which I'm going to share with you. But first, I want to address some important events that have transpired since then. Like I've said before, many people have contacted me over the last five months in regards to Shane and the people he knew. Some are credible and others are not but I always try and hear people out because you never know what might land in your lap one day. Back in May, I got in contact with a woman named Jody, who said she knew Crystal and Shane. She said she'd been friends with Crystal, but that they had had an incident back in 2015. She gave me permission to go ahead and play you the messages about that incident.
1: I've known Crystal since 2003. She was a lifelong friend of my... Ex of tenure and so I know her pretty well knew her for a long time and then I broke up with my ex kicked him out the first day of 2013 and in 2015 Crystal started showing up at my house after not being around she lived way up river you probably know that it was Shane I knew about Shane when she met him and how much she cared about him she they got married at country fair she was a fair girl I never would have dreamed she'd be capable of stuff like this, but then she showed up at my house where I've been in the crosshairs as a targeted individual because I stand up against evil. I'm not a snitch, but I stand against what's wrong, and there's a difference between kissing and telling and standing for truth, as you well know. She showed up at my house where I was under complete duress, inside and outside of my house, whacked on crystal meth out of her mind, just whacked, and she kept coming over when she hadn't been around for all that time. She never had time. But she kept coming over, persistently, trying to get a hold of me. And she was like, oh, you know all the things you've shared with me about what you believe about universal truth and God and everything? She goes, well, the ascension, it's you, it's you. And she was all out of it. And she was practically drooling at the mouth and trying to get me to go on rides with her in this vehicle to go to the grocery store. I'm like, why? I don't need to go to the grocery store. And um, she was bugging me. But then finally I was like, whatever. So I went to the grocery store. Winco in West Eugene, because my house that I lost a mortgage from was in West Eugene. But she didn't go to the store. She drove past Winco off Cubitt Street over there off uh, Barger and went to way back in that neighborhood on some little cul-de-sac and parked in front of some house and left me in her vehicle for a long time. And during that time, I was sitting there. I was like, what the hell? This is all sketchy, all of it. From her showing up at my door, being persistent, after two years of her never having time, and spent on meth when I never knew her to do methamphetamine, saying I was somebody that you know, you know, trying to like glorify me, and trying to get me to go somewhere with her, then not going there, then parking and leaving me in a vehicle, and then I saw this car purchase papers and realized that she had just got within two hours before coming to my house the vehicle we were sitting in, only it was in Shane's name. And she signed his name, but he wasn't with us. He was upriver because he'd been calling her asking when she'd be home. And so I just noticed that because I was sitting there. Then when she came out with some sketchy, tweaked out guy who sat behind me, and then she, I'm like, I thought we were going to the grocery store. Then she goes over to McDonald's on 6th Street and parks and drag her Jack in the Box, and parks around, sits there, and then she was supposed to meet someone else. I'm like, what the hell? Take me home. You're weird. You're spun, some sketchy guy behind me. And you're on meth, and you're just being weird. It's like, no, Crystal, take me home. And then she got a phone call from Shane, and she was she was trying to pretend she's telling me to be quiet, trying to pretend that, you know, she was by herself and at the grocery store. And I'm like, hi, Shane. And she's like, shh. I'm like, why can't I say hi to Shane, Crystal? Are you hiding something? And she glared at me and got really mad. And she goes, oh, it's Jody. She went to the grocery store with me. I go, yeah, you kept asking me, but actually we haven't been to the grocery store so Shane can hear, you know. And then I said, hey, Shane, did you know that you bought a vehicle today? We're riding in it, and the paperwork is here. It says what time they bought it. And then Crystal goes, I got to go. And she hung up and glared at me. And I said, fuck you, Crystal. I don't know what you're up to. And then, you know, earlier at the house, she'd been on the phone with an insurance company. I said, what was that phone call at the insurance company you were trying to be coy about earlier on my back patio? I said, what are you trying to do? Shane doesn't know you bought a truck today. I said, did you get insurance and forge a signature on that? Are you up to life insurance? uh, Life insurance homicide is number one. Anybody can take out a life insurance policy on anybody because of the corrupt world. And often in cahoots with crooked insurance dealers for the almighty dollar. And um. Anyway, as she was driving me back, she was trying to intimidate me. And she goes, I'll throw you out of this vehicle while I'm driving. I'll go really fast. And I got so angry. We're now on Royal and we're having, I'm confronting her because of it all, because I hate dishonesty and I can't stand evil. And she'd never been like that. I never would have dreamed this woman could ever have anything but a heart of gold unless she's possessed of a demon or was hiding it well. And the meth brought it out or whatever. Um, but, but seeing is believing and I'm no idiot. So when she threatened to throw me out of the vehicle, I took my left foot cause I was in the passenger next to her and I stepped on her gas pedal on top of her foot that was on the gas pedal with my foot and I slammed it all the way down. So we were speeding. I probably shouldn't have. It's could have been dangerous, but you know, i I think I checked no other cars, but I'm not sure I was so enraged. And I grabbed the wheel and turned her to my side of the road. And one fell, you know, leaving thing. And I could have wrecked us, but I floored it and I I jammed the wheel to my side of the road. And I said, bitch, I said, I'm going to get out now. And you're going to stop the car. I said, either that or I'm going to jump on your lap. I'm going to grab your juggler vein and I'm going to throw you out of the vehicle, take your vehicle and drive myself home. So shut the fuck up and take me home, and don't you ever threaten me again. I told her that, you know, that, and then when we got in the driveway, she kept trying to intimidate me and say that, how dare I make accusations and don't ever talk to Shane. I said, well, you know, I'm going to let Shane know, because I think you're trying to opt him for insurance fraud, you fucking bitch. And I said, I know that if any harm comes to Shane, I know who did it.
0: Jody's story wasn't the only one I've heard. As I learned this case better, something that was always a question mark for me was Eric, who was the fourth person to have supposedly been there the morning Shane went missing. I first learned his name from Shane's family. They told me that when Justin first gave them the story of what happened on the morning of November 2nd was that he was in the trailer with Crystal and Eric was sleeping when Shane came home around 10 a.m. Eric and Shane's mom communicated through text for a while early on, and he told them that he was not there the morning Shane went missing, and that instead he was staying at the Country Inn down the road. I was never able to confirm either way. On July 16th, Misty messaged me that according to Eric's wife, Eric Halverson died of a blood infection on July 4th 2022. This is truly saddening for both Eric and his friends and family, and also in a way for Shane's family, Because, of course, any information or insight on Shane that Eric may have had is now gone as well. As of a few weeks ago, Shane's case got a new detective. I was able to speak to him, and he gave me a newfound sense of hope for Shane's case. He's putting search crews together and making moves to get this case moving. For the first time in months, I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Shane's case has encompassed my life for months. I've been in contact with everyone I can imagine and exhausted every option I could. The drive I had for this case is what I hope I can feel for all the cases I cover because it's kept me pushing envelopes that needed to be pushed. One thing I know for sure is Shane was a good man and he deserves to be found and his friends and family deserve closure. Shane is so much more than a missing person's case and his friends and family have great memories that they'll cherish forever. Here are some of their highlights. Shane didn't need friends because he had family.
2: Um, In fact, all the people he worked for he considered family. That's why he never had to have a license or a contract. He said, if you dream it, we can build it. And we literally could build anything. I don't know, he just, he worked. All he did was work. He worked seven days a week even when he was at home he worked we only we actually did only work for about five people and shane did consider all five of them family we pretty much rotate between building the favorite place to build was jim's house because we had free reign and jim was the man jim was kind of like shane's west coast kind of father figure slash role model um, yeah, we just built a lot of shit. His footprint is all over Eugene. I don't know, he just he just liked to have fun and work, really. Because we had fun working. He is the kindest person you could ever meet. And he would pretty much give you the shirt off his back. Without a doubt, he would give you the shirt off his back. He accepted everybody for who they were. He didn't judge. He was one of the least judgmental people I've ever met and he'd accept you for who you were. Yeah, that's kind of how he lived his life, you know, just, he treated everybody with the same amount of respect that he would want. I'd say he lived his life by the golden rule.
3: My name is Marissa, and I am one of Shane's nieces. My favorite thing about Shane is that he genuinely cares about people. He doesn't care about money or material things, but instead he cares about the safety and happiness of his loved ones. He had so much love for his family and was so great with all of us kids. He knew how to light up a room and make anyone smile even when he was going through hard times himself. He was an extremely hard worker and loved the outdoors. After surviving the Holiday Farm fire, Shane made it back to Minnesota for my graduation party and my sister's wedding. Although he had just lost his home and belongings, he was thankful to be alive and had a smile on his face. That was the last time we got to see my uncle, and we miss him so much every day. My favorite memory of Shane is when he took my cousin and I to see Alice in Wonderland at the movie theater. He took us to McDonald's before the movie and shoved cheeseburgers down his jacket for us to eat during the movie. We love you so much, Shane, and we will never give up until we bring you home.
4: I have lots of memories of Shane playing with my kids as well as all the fun family vacations we took. Growing up he was the only boy and was a good sport and often played house and school with us girls. Our family grew cucumbers for Gettney. We would spend our summers working in the field. Shane would drive the tractor past the beehives with bees flying everywhere. He was often stung and was never afraid. When his life partner Rebecca died, I flew out to Oregon. Shane was heartbroken but spent time creating a memorial for her. He gave an endearing tribute to Rebecca at her funeral. I was amazed at how strong he was. When he lost everything in the fire, he was resilient and appreciated life, not focusing on the material goods that was lost.
5: I'm Misty, Shane's younger sister. And I don't really have just one particular story to share, but rather just wanted people to know what kind of person Shane was. With five of us kids growing up on a farm in a small town, we had no other choice than to get creative and find things to do. Just one of our ideas of fun was seeing who could jump from the highest rung of the ladder in a grain bin full of corn or beans. We had a three-wheeler, go-kart, made forts, played in the hay barn, always had lots of animals, and surely got into some mischief. But we were also taught by our parents from a very young age how to work hard, and Shane definitely carried that on throughout his life. When he was able to pull himself away from work to come home for various events, he would always show us pictures of the projects he was working on. He took great pride in what he built, and it was such a prominent piece of his life. Between his visits home, our mom usually kept us in the loop as far as what was going on with him, since they would talk on a weekly basis, for sure. He shared a lot with her, including his plan to get divorced while they were in Texas. Despite everything that had happened there, he was still kind and caring enough to want to first get Crystal back to Oregon, where she knew people. I can't say I would have done the same, but he had such a big heart. As his younger sister, I really looked up to him. His mannerisms and easygoing attitude was so compelling. He didn't like conflict, never complained, never asked or expected anything from anyone. I called him right after the fire, and he was more concerned about the people who were unaccounted for than he was about anything else. After the initial shock, he sent a text that said, we barely made it. Crazy how little time we had, and holy shit, nothing left, but so many have it much worse. Being thousands of miles away, we wanted to do something to help, so we asked if we could set up a GoFundMe account. He was a little hesitant, but did end up agreeing. He was so shocked at the number of people who were willing to help and was so grateful for their generosity. We share those feelings with him now as my family and I are so thankful for everyone for helping us to bring Shane home. I'll end with my favorite text from him. It's short and sweet, but it says,
6: every day is a blessing. Love you guys. This is Stacy, Shane's sister. I'm about a year and a half older than Shane and some of my fondest memories of him were from growing up on a farm in a small town in Minnesota. We spent most of our time outside, and the things we did together that are most memorable to me are shooting at things with our BB guns, building forts in the hay barn, riding go-karts, three-wheelers, and dirt bikes for hours on end. Sometimes my mom would have a freezer full of pumpkin bars, and we would stop riding every half hour or so and grab a pumpkin bar out of the freezer we had a huge garden out of and out of all of our siblings shane is the only one that loved to eat green peppers right out of the garden he loved them we explored every inch of the land and the farm buildings from the rafters where we would climb up and hang swings to the cubbies in the bottom of the barn where the cats would have their kittens we built bike ramps and we rode them over them over and over again we climbed out onto the roof of his bedroom window. We got to the highest point to the very edge to see who could get to the, the closest to the edge. We would play out in the sandbox with toy tractors and equipment, making fields in the sand. I remember all of us kids being cramped into the back of the Camaro, fighting because we had no space. Working on the cucumber farm, picking cucumbers, carrying baskets, and moving boxes. I remember our whole family bringing lunch out to my dad who while he was working out in the field. I remember Shane and I riding three wheelers out to the field ditch and catching critters in the water. And on Sundays, I remember laying with him on our living room floor with our feet on the rock wall, watching Three Stooges or football. These are some of my childhood, favorite childhood memories of Shane that I will always cherish. I love you, Shane, wherever you are. None of our lives will be the same without you.
7: This is Marge, Shane's mom. And this is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my 70 years. But Shane was a loving and caring person. He was in the middle of five children four girls and him, so he was a bit spoiled, and the girls will say that too, I'm sure. He loved the outdoors from little on, he would be outside. You could always find him outside, playing with his trucks and tractors in the sandbox, riding his bicycle, go-kart, three-wheeler, horses, he riding along with his dad on the tractor. He was always outside and he loved it. He also liked to build things. He came down to Texas last winter and heard some pounding going on next door, so he went over there and here was an elderly man trying to build steps for his disabled wife who had a hard time getting out of their camper. So he took over and he built the steps. And the man was so happy. Shane was happy and made him, it made him feel good. He had a kind and caring heart. He also was magnificent at carpentry. He had a vision and he could do it. Um, He built a lot of things out there. He was always busy. He never had to advertise. It was always word of mouth. People were so satisfied with his work. And he was proud of it and I was proud of him. Three days before he disappeared, he called. It was my birthday he called and just to see how we were wished me happy birthday, and said he loved me. and He'd call about once or twice every week, asking for advice or telling me what he's doing with the old property and the new property. He'd be sending pictures of the fruit trees, the wildflowers that were coming up, some of the projects he was building. Uh, he built a, a picnic table out of a half a log, and it was gorgeous. He was always working, doing something. He was a go-getter. So this is, this is hard, and all I have to say is fly high, fly high, my son. Love you.
0: We've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show, so we set up an account with Patreon. Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, NowhereToBeFoundPodcast.com.